Welcome to Creation Conversations with Joe Hubbard and John Mackay. Join us each week as we answer your questions and common objections to the Bible, creation, and Noah's flood. We hope you enjoy the show. Morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you're joining us from around the planet. Welcome back to Creation Conversations. We've got the full team with us this week, and we've got a great topic for you as well. Um, we've seem to have had some kind of a glitch in the system when we tried to start up a minute ago. So if everybody could just let us know that you can hear us okay, give us a good wave. I think we seem to be on and working, which is good. We've apparently got some people watching already. So if you could just stick something in the chat, say hi, that would be fabulous, just so we can make sure everything is up to speed and working. But we have the whole team here. Uh, John, Sam, Craig, Diane, uh, how are we all doing? John, what's it like over in Australia today? It's raining where I am, and uh, I'm sure the Weather Bureau guys will claim it as a victory of prediction from the zombie weather system emerging and evolving off the east coast of Australia. It's amazing how the weather forecasts are becoming so uh, horrendous, you know, tragic weather coming, a zombie system. It, it's amazing. It, it reads like science fiction at the moment, but all part of the climate change sort of rush. Uh, but today they were spot on. Uh, it's raining. Well, it's dribbling, really, here in Queensland, but we always enjoy the rain, except when it sort of reaches the top of the door and uh, you have to find a boat to get out. Um, but that's about what it's like where I am today. Good stuff. Good stuff. Sam, how's it going in uh, where you are? Oh, it's going well. Starting my new job this week, which is Good fantastic. Stuff. So uh, praise the Lord for that. Um, but otherwise, I'm, I'm doing hunky-dory. Good, hunky -dory. good. Good, good. Craig, you're back in Tasmania now after the open day and all that. How's, how are you keeping? Yeah, it's uh, beautiful outside today. Uh, it's not dribbling like the Queenslanders. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lovely day, clear blue sky, and we've got daylight saving, so I shouldn't have got up an hour early like I did today. Well, I know. <laughs> I, did. I was surprised to see you when I logged in like about an hour early and just wanted to check things out and uh, to see you pop up, so never mind. Um, Diane, you're in the UK still. Yes, I am, yes. And you're going to be coming over to see us uh, at some point soon, yeah, so uh, yes, it'll uh, be good. How are you keeping? What have you been up to since the uh, end of the convention when we last saw you? Oh, I've been uh, I've been keeping well. I'm <clears throat> uh, staying with some people in Oxfordshire, and um, the weather was windy most of the day and wet this afternoon. <laughs> mm. And uh, in between that, we had patches of cloud and blue sky and sunshine, a bit of everything. I think that's fairly typical British weather, isn't it? Oh yes, uh, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> well, let's go around and do our ministry yes. reports. I know a few of us have ministry reports. I'll start if that's okay. It's been a, a pretty long day, as you know. We've uh, recently finished this event, the Rocks Cry Out UK Fossil Convention, just a week ago. We finished that, so it's um, or just uh, ne nearly a week ago. A week ago tomorrow. So um, it's been uh, a pretty exhausting journey getting prepared for that and getting 
through that uh, and we're behind on many many things so please do pray for us however it's been a real blessing and we'll give you a brief report on some of the things we found there um since that time i've sort of been hiding from the world with sarah Ann, trying to recover somewhat and that all came to a head today when we started back on our ministry trip as well as well today let's just say it's been one of those days <laughs> we've had uh, major traffic problems we've had some major administration issues crop up amongst other things so just so you folks know who support us out there we very much do appreciate your prayers as well as your support mm. as it can be quite draining from day to day and it's certainly been taking its toll on me um but that being said we had a pretty wonderful time down at the convention i'm going to share my screen so sam if you can make sure that i'm up and all ready to go that'd be wonderful here you can see simon turpin from answers in genesis uk who's uh, giving us a lecture on scoffers of creation of course that warning that uh, peter tells us about in the in the book of peter the scoffers will come <clears throat> in the last days so it was a great session with simon amongst many other speakers who came to the convention we had our big tent as you can see which was the hub of the activities we had a museum set up we had fossils for sale we had books dvds answers in genesis were there with their resources as well it was a, a a big learning curve for the ministry as well as an exhausting one but we got there and i think we had a, a thoroughly blessed time and we've had some absolutely fantastic feedback over the past few days so thank you to everybody who sent that in Yes, we are planning our next one. Yes, we want to do this again. Yes, we want to try and make sure that it's uh, financially viable this time. But uh, please do continue supporting us with what we do and keep an eye out for the next one. We may be back on the Dorset coast because, as I said to the folks who were there, you know, we could do this five more times in the same campsite and yet we could have different speakers, we could have different topics and we could go to a different location on each one, right? Because there's so much potential down on that side south coast for geology and fossils we are looking at other options as well though things like the places like the isle of Wight, uh places like the yorkshire coast scotland loads of uh, potential and opportunities so uh, do keep an eye out you've seen some of these from uh, our broadcast last week if you're watching us obviously we had dr diane eager with us and we had some pretty spectacular finds including this rather beautiful oricaria or southern conifer southern pine now diane being a native australian recognized this because they grow down in australia but look at what it's buried next to um well number one you can see it's a southern conifer for sure because of how well preserved it is number two it's a land plant which is buried next to one of those famous curly whirly ammonites which were in their abundance down on the jurassic coast in fact we took people down on the uh, first trip to charmouth right which is a it's a good location to go to but it's fairly over collected and we went and we found you know a few bits and pieces and some interesting stuff but then on the second day we went down to monmouth which was just around the corner and we were walking along and we found ammonite after ammonite after ammonite and the people who were complaining that they weren't finding anything on the first trip by the end of the second trip were going oh i found a fossil oh not another ammonite so these things really are in their abundance around here on the jurassic coast including evidence of creation not just noah's flood oh by the way if you're looking at land plants and sea creatures buried together you're looking at evidence of a flood 
for sure. Uh, you've got evidence of water where water shouldn't be. It's washed over the land, bringing the sea creatures to the plants and mixing them and dumping them together. Flood for sure. And here's another piece of evidence of a flood, but not just a flood, also evidence that God's word is true from the very beginning, as it says in the Psalms. Uh, this is a living fossil nautilus. We still have them alive today. These rocks are supposed to be about 200 million years old. And all you can prove if you want to believe that is that in 200 million years, their nautiluses have evolved into nautiluses. In other words, they haven't evolved at all. They haven't even really changed. There's no change at all. There's no evolution at all. All they've been doing is reproducing after their own kind. So great pieces of evidence from the Jurassic Coast. Um, that's my presentation for later. So I'm going to stop sharing. And I've got one final thing to report on, because as I said, it's been a pretty exhausting day uh, with all the travel, um, despite the much needed rest that we had over the last few days. But we're now heading out to do ministry, as well as try and balance all of the administration and the pre-preparation for the open day and everything else that's going on so do keep us in prayer please but the next big thing that's coming up is this on the 15th of october if you're here in the uk if you're down in the sort of um southeast please do come along to our next creation research uk field trip to folkestone um it's on saturday the 15th we start at 10 30 more details and to book and yes you do need to book and you need to know where to go as well get in touch with lawrence who's actually organizing this um but it's a field trip which is free for all now john you um came to uh, folkestone many years ago and you in fact introduced me to folkestone tell us a little bit about your great finds that you had there okay we found some fossil thorns which is rather amazing in chalk uh, land mm -hmm. plants and, and chalk normally regarded as a deep sea still water we also found hundreds of shark's teeth uh, some of which were in good shape and uh, I found one enormous poo, uh, not a present day one, uh, a petrified piece of poo, but it still had um, plant tissue inside it. So uh, overall, a great day. But the best find was a ammonite, um, you know, about that, that tall. And it was standing upright. It wasn't lying down flat like many of them. It was perfectly upright and beautifully, uh, you know, inside, if you can get into them, they have all these lovely sutures connecting each chamber to each other. You can yeah. see the sutures beautifully outlined. So uh, that was a great day. I'd encourage all of you to go. You get a good bit of exercise as well. Uh, fortunately, Joseph will not take you down the steep way. I've warned him about that. It's a great lot of exercise, particularly going back up. But we'll yeah. take you down to the car park and let you walk just the last little bit down to the old airfield that's uh, all along the coast there. Well, let me just put this picture back up again so people can get the details should they want to. Uh, take a screenshot, write down the email, do whatever you want, but that's where you need to get in touch or who you need to get in touch with if you want to book. So do that there. And it's interesting you talk about these upright ammonites, uh, John, the ones that cut up through layers of strata because mm. we're talking about upright fossils this evening, specifically trees and the implications that they have. So grab the details i'll put it up again later but grab the details now if you're able to come and join us at folkestone 
on the 15th of October, please do make it. Uh, it would be absolutely wonderful. And a reminder that on the uh, 29th of October, we have our open day uh, at uh, the Creation Research Centre in Oswestry. And we have a lot to prepare for that. So we need all the help and volunteers we can get. Um, we have a lot of administration to sort and a lot of things to try and uh, complete and get ready. So please do keep us in prayer. If nothing else, the Lord is very powerful and he's a great giver of wisdom so we certainly need prayer as well as uh, help and everything else can i answer a question that just appeared from uh, of course Pat, what size family because uh, um in if you're taking home schoolers uh, they can sometimes be rather large families right and uh, now we've got no problem with large families we encourage families um but please don't do what one lady did um she bought three families kids and herself along that's three families right you don't get three for the price of one so please uh, look after joe's uh, budgeting bank keeping and all of that sort of thing but uh, sometimes you know you have a bus turn up and there's one family in it they're all homeschoolers so praise the lord for homeschoolers and uh, join us as many as you can Mm. Yeah, we try and keep it as as fair as we possibly can, and the family means a family, but not somebody else's. So <laughs> there we go. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's my ministry report over. Who's who's up next? You better make a, a Diane next. Diane, over to you. What's what have you been up to? Uh, well, as Joe said, I was at the fossil convention as well. I had a wonderful time. It was really good. Um, I enjoyed seeing all those ammonites. I thought they were wonderful. It was just brilliant to walk on that ammonite pathway where there were just thousands upon thousands of them. And I enjoyed finding the other things as well, the pieces of fossil wood and the uh, nautilus. And uh, it was good to be able to, to um, talk to the other people at the, uh, at the convention about those things. And they really enjoyed themselves. And I did give a couple of uh, uh, presentations for the evening seminars as well. And maybe we can look at those topics um, at some time. Well, one of them we've actually done in Creation Conversations that was on the, um, the, the races, the history of, um, of mankind and the origin of the races. But the other one was about um, how the, uh, the world started out very good, but it's not very good anymore. But at the same time, there is evidence for what we are told about the very good world, uh, about how all animals ate plants and about how the world was watered by a rising mist. And uh, so uh, we looked at some of the evidence for that very good world. Um, and uh, people really enjoyed that. I got lots of positive feedback about that. Uh, but anyway, that's maybe a topic we could, uh, we could look at sometime in one of these programs. And then this week I had a, a Zoom meeting for ladies, actually, uh, which went very well. Uh, quite a number of ladies who didn't, some of them didn't know a lot about our ministry and what we do. So uh, I uh, told them a bit about what we did and I used a few photos from Jurassic Ark to um, explain what we did. Uh, and I got them to read uh, Psalm 104, and particularly the verse that says, how manifold are the works of the Lord, because I wanted them to understand that this is more than just about creation versus evolution. 
what we're doing is helping people to see all of the wondrous works of the Lord, just like we did down at the fossil convention. We saw evidence for rapid fossilization. We saw evidence for um, catastrophic fossilization of land and sea things. We saw evidence for things multiplying after their kind. We saw evidence for wonderful design with the, the Nautilus. Um, so we want people to look at all the manifest works of the Lord, the many works of the Lord, as described in the scriptures, to encourage them that they can stand firm on the scriptures because we want people to trust the scriptures and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ who is revealed in the scriptures. Um, but anyway, I've got a, a few of the photos that I, I showed at the uh, ladies' meeting about Jurassic Ark and told them a bit about the history and also about some of the people involved. So let's see if you recognise some of these characters, um, if we can go to my slides. Uh, uh, just a minute till I get to my slides. Yes, here we go. Um, so it was about... Uh, Jurassic Ark and of course I explained to them that the word Jurassic doesn't mean dinosaurs even though we have dinosaurs there and the kids love them and, and the adults love them as well but Jurassic refers to the uh, area around the Jura Mountains and rocks that are similar to that and the rocks we have there are similar to the ones in the Jurassic uh, in the Jura Mountains so our rock layer which is part of a huge 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 rock layer uh, is Jurassic and in fact, that name was given by a Bible-believing Christian, and that's good for people to know about the history of science. But um, also, uh, here are a few people. Um, we started out uh, our work at Jurassic Ark when this petrified wood was found. Now, this is many years after that, but um, here are a few people involved in the ministry. You probably recognise some of them, but perhaps not others. <laughs> right, there's... Uh, John bending over there, uh, young Ben up the top there with the camera, and uh, and here's Daryl, who's the uh, curator who works on the site, who, who lives up there and works on the site with one of our really big trees, and uh, here's uh, one of the things we do, of course, is uh, we have open days as well, uh, just like we're planning up at the uh, UK. Um, museum and this is an open day at Jurassic Ark and here we are in the orchid garden looking at the wonderful design of orchids and uh, uh, oh, we've gone backwards let's see if we can go forwards yes there we are um, and this is the uh, brilliant design that we see in the orchids so at Jurassic Ark we have creation we have design we have the history of the world um, in both uh, murals and gardens and fossils, of course, uh, and people come and we have so much there. We could you could stay there for three days and not see everything. But of course, we also do experiments. Now, do you recognise these characters? Just one or two of them. Just one or well, there are only two there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I deliberately put that one up because some of the ladies at the meeting actually know Joseph. So. <laughs> and, uh, and there are two very happy men because 
if you give men some water and some mud and some sand and a piece of machinery, well, that's bliss, isn't it? We're very, very happy. That's all we need. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. And, and uh, that's, uh, that is, of course, one of our experiments um, at Jurassic Ark. And uh, uh, John and Joseph might have a bit more to say about that later on. Um, but uh, <clears throat> one of the other things we do, of course, is send out our regular newsletter and uh, we have uh, an interesting story coming up about the oldest heart. Now, it's the oldest vertebrate heart and it's a fossil heart that was found in the um, Kimberley region in, uh, in Western Australia. And this was a media release from the university where the researchers who were uh, who carried out this study. And now notice their heading, New Curtin Lead. Now, Curtin is the name of the university. This is their media release, so they have to promote their own organisation, just like we promote ours. New Curtin Lead Research discovers the heart of our evolution. Now, what they found was actually a fossil fish. And uh, this was the uh, head, um, the first paragraph in their media release. Researchers have discovered a 380 million year old heart. And it was interesting at the uh, meeting that I had for ladies, one of them said, oh, I've just heard this story on the BBC, or I've just watched the BBC news. The first story was about Ukraine. The second story was about uh, our politicians. And the third story was about scientists finding a fossil. And the first thing they said about this fossil was that it was so many millions of years old. And she then asked me, do they say that about fossils whenever they report them in the news in Australia? So I had to assure her, yes, they do. That's, that is usually the first thing people say about fossils whenever they're reported, even in university press releases. That's the first thing they've got to say. So anyway, they claim they've found this 380 million year old heart, the oldest ever found alongside a separate fossilized stomach, intestine and liver in an ancient jawed fish shedding new light on the evolution of our bodies. Now, notice the, the mindset there. Notice how they're looking through Charles Darwin's glasses, as we like to say. They found a fossil fish, and they're talking about the evolution of our, our own bodies, in other words, human bodies. Uh, anyway, what they uh, found was um, a, uh, <clears throat> a fossil fish which was preserved in three dimensions. And the um, instead of using the 380 million years, the editor of Science, that's the journal it was published in, headed the little paragraph there, a Devonian heart. Now we'll come back to that in a moment. But uh, the scientists started off their report. We uh, described the only known example of a three-dimensional dimensionally mineralized heart, thick-walled stomach and bilobe liver, from uh, arthro, arthrodoplacoderms uh, in the Gogo Formation of Western Australia. That is a real place, the Gogo Formation. Uh, it's uh, in sort of northwestern Australia. Now, placoderms are an extinct fish. You won't find these swimming around uh, in, in the sea at the moment. They could grow very, very large. They were similar to sharks and could grow very large. Um, but they had an interesting sort of structure in that they had a sort of bony armour plating at the, uh, 
at their front end. So it covered their head and the region immediately behind them. And this is the, the fossil of that armor plating. The rest of the fish um, doesn't fossilize particularly well. So finding this three-dimensional one with the uh, a soft tissue structure in it was quite a, a spectacular find. But anyway, so placoderms are uh, they're an extinct type of fish similar to sharks. And they have these amazing bony plates covering their head and their thorax. And uh, instead of um, cutting this fossil up, they actually scanned it. And this is something that we can do these days with um, X-ray techniques, which is really good because it means you don't have to sort of deconstruct uh, the fossil. And uh, <clears throat> you can see a lot of the internal structure without damaging it too much. And what they found is that they found it had internal organs which were similar to those of living sharks. Um, and in particular, it had this big bilobe liver that's two lobes. And uh, it could be used as part of the uh, controlling of buoyancy. It had the same sort of shape and structure as that in a living shark, even though this was supposed to be the oldest one of these that was uh, that ever found. And it also had uh, what was a two-chambered heart. So that is um, an efficient pumping mechanism, right? And it was just located below its gills. So that's very similar to living sharks as well. And then they made a very interesting um, statement uh, in their... Uh, they said the preservation occurred through bacterially mediated uh, orthogenic mineralization. In other words, the, um, it was preserved because bacteria had somehow managed to mineralize the internal structure of this. Um, now, if you're not quite sure what those last words there, photic zone, uxinia, um, that just means that uh, it's low oxygen, sulfur rich water. Uh, so interesting sort of uh, a whole lot of very interesting statements there. They say this thing is 380 million years old. It's got internal organs which are similar to those of sharks today. This is a fish that is known to be like sharks that live in the water today, apart from the, uh, the, the bony uh, sort of armour plating. And it had these fully formed, apparently functioning organs. You couldn't see the organs function, of course, but it had all of the structure that efficient functioning organs would have. And it was preserved by bacterially mediated mineralization. Um, now, if we can come back to us now, um, there are a few things we can say about that. Um, where did I just come back to us? Yes, there we, there we are. Yes, well, for a start, what does the word Devonian mean? Well, in fact, it's similar to what Jurassic means. Remember, Jurassic referred to a place. It didn't describe so many millions of years. Devonian is like a place we've just been fairly close to. In, in our uh, fossil convention, we were down on the south coast near Devon, and that's where a lot of fossil fish were found uh, at uh, some time in the past. So that area was called Devonian uh, because from being in Devon. So when they found rocks with similar sorts of fossils elsewhere in the world, they were named Devonian. So um, don't be afraid to use those terms. 
that are in the, the geological record, uh, a lot of them were actually named by people who believed the Bible, like von Humboldt, who were named Jurassic. So we don't need to be afraid of those. They either refer to places where rocks were originally described and we found other ones that are similar, or they are descriptive terms like Cretaceous. And uh, so we, uh, <clears throat> there's no evidence that this thing was 380 million years old simply because it was found in rocks that were classified as Devonian. It just means these rocks are similar to the rocks in Devon. Now, as to uh, whether it's the oldest heart, well, if it is, that means hearts have always been uh, shark hearts or fish hearts, have always had that structure and have always worked well. So you've got uh, evidence for uh, design there and for after their kind, because no one has ever seen a fish that is not a placoderm evolve into one that is. Placoderms appear in the fossil record as fully formed placoderms, and then they disappear. So from the time they appear in the fossil record, uh, if you're, even if you're using the evolutionary timetable from when they seem to disappear, they haven't changed. They've always been placoderms. Sadly, they don't exist now. And that is another sign that the real history of the world is one that's going downhill. It's going from good to bad to worse. We are losing uh, things out the biodiversity, as it were, is going down. And uh, <clears throat> so we have to look at the history of the world to see what, what might have caused uh, that. Uh, and uh, we've got evidence, of course, for of massive uh, loss of all sorts of different uh, creatures as a result of the uh, changes that happened after Noah's flood. And the final thing is the uh, the mineralization is very interesting. We've seen bacterially um, mediated mineralization in all sorts of other areas. And uh, Joseph and uh, John might like to comment on that if we can go back to all of us. Uh, so lots of interesting things just found in this one fossil and we will write it up and uh, send out uh, send out our comments about it and the original sources that you can look up uh, in, in our newsletter are coming up soon. Diane, if people have got questions, uh, how do they approach our site to get the answers or extra information? Uh, well, we file all of our um, all of our science reports. Uh, on a separate website, which is linked to our main one, right? Just simply called the fact file. So anything that gets sent out in our newsletter will get archived on that site. You don't need to know when it was sent out, which newsletter it was sent out. You can just, they're filed individually. You can just do a keyword search and, and look for them. And that will have the original uh, report that we've written and links to the our sources, so you'll know where we got them from. And sometimes, depending on the um, copyright situation, we can throw in a few photos. We couldn't this time because it's uh, in a fully copyrighted science journal, but we can give you the links to it. So um, go to that site. Uh, and also, we have a question and answer site, which is simply called Ask John Mackay. And if you've got any general questions like, uh, how fast does a fossil fish form? Um, there is a question on that, uh, uh, or uh, questions about sharks or fossilization. You can go to the ask site. That's just ask John Mackay, and crawl through the question, look through the questions there, uh, and 
if you have a question we haven't answered, you can submit one on that site itself. There is a page for, for you to uh, submit a question uh, if you have one. Um, <clears throat> so uh, plenty of sources for finding out uh, things that we've found in the science news and that we want to share with you and help you see it from a biblical point of view, from God's point of view. Amen. Amen. And Diane, you're obviously coming over to um, us over in Oswestry in a few weeks' time, uh, a couple of weeks' time. Uh, we're going to be filming some stuff, including another evidence news broadcast. Yes, yes, we will. Uh, lots of interesting things to uh, to share with you there. No, yes, and we'll, really we'll do some other things in the museum and make some other little videos as well. Uh, Absolutely, we will. Yes. Yeah, we're looking. We're looking forward to it. Yes. Um, here's a, a question I've just seen suddenly jump in from Anne, uh, which I'm just going to put up because I've seen this as well. I saw a report on this fish heart, and they said it was proof who humans came from fish. <laughs> the headline that I saw was slightly different. It said scientists prove that we evolved from sharks. So. Um, <laughs> It's amazing <laughs> what conclusions you can come to with these uh, investigations. But Diane, John, any comments on this? Yes. Well, that, that would that would make us cannibals because we're eating our cousins. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I think you can dismiss that as abject nonsense, purely uh, grabbing hold of a thin end of a very uh, very uh, artificial yes. straw. Mm. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Um, Craig, I believe you're up next for uh, your report. Uh, over to you. Yeah, great. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Diane. That was great. Yeah, we've had a very busy uh, period. Uh, school holidays still in Australia and lots of people visiting. The museum's been busy with that. So that's been, that's been great. Um, here's a new uh, design um, display that we've got coming from Vance Nelson in Canada. Uh, on the uh, one of the supposedly most simple creatures out there, the bacteria, and yet it's got very clear and precise design components. Um, some of you might remember the uh, Mystery of Life intelligent design video from about, oh, I don't know, it must have been nearly 20 years ago that they put that out. Um, talking about this we don't agree with everything they say in in, in intelligent design but uh, at least they came up with some pretty great arguments for design in the in the bacterial flagellum and this is actually a working machine that uh, actually spins and operates and um, is a great display that will be added to the museum by the end of the year we've also got um, some dinosaur tracks coming uh, from the same place uh, from Vance again and these are from a well-known quarry, which John knows very well and has been to and, and will raise again a little bit later. But it's going to be great to have some authentic dinosaur tracks on display in the museum. And we can talk about some of the things surrounding that in the museum as well. So just keep that in mind. John will come back to that. But John's also asked me to summarise uh, a little bit about what I've been um uh, preparing for a message that I have to give at Georgetown Baptist here in Tasmania on Sunday. Dropped on me during the week, but uh, it's fantastic and a good opportunity. I'll be basing that on Isaiah 45, uh, which four times says, I am the Lord and there is no other. And it's a, a passage that's really highlighting who God is 
and who we're not, basically. Uh, in this passage, he's making it abundantly clear that he's the one who is in charge, that he has not hidden the important things that we need to know and that he's the creator of all things and it's him, he's the one alone that calls the shots. So from about chapter 44 in Isaiah and through to 48, uh, God is spelling out the fact that he is the one that's in charge. And here is a verse, uh, a couple of verses in chapter 44 that say, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and dri drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness. So this is uh, something that I thought I'd speak on because it's come up in my life uh, quite a number of times recently at the museum. I, I notice it also comes up on our chats from time to time about, um, you know, comments that if God is real and God is good, why is there sin in his creation? And it's basically questioning whether he is either good or if he's in fact in control. And uh, chapter 45 really puts us in our place when questioning the mind and reasoning of God. It says, who, 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 Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? And, and just a couple of verses down, even though it's talking about the future, it's all—it's still saying, who are we to question God? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It's very similar in, indeed to God's um, questions thrown at Job. Who are you to really um, say uh, or question me about why I do what I do? Um, so then in Isaiah 46, the next chapter, um, he reminds us that he's told us all the important stuff from the very beginning to the end and that his purposes will be fulfilled. So let's just read that passage. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. So these passages really give us a dose of humility and um, if you want to know your place in the world, um, in, in the universe, go and read, you know, Isaiah 44, 45, 46, those sorts of passages, and you'll get an idea of what God uh, thinks about that. Um, and our purpose, as Diane uh, reflected a little bit there as well in her, her talk, our purpose in creation research is ultimately not to win every fine detailed debate on creation versus evolution, although it's nice to win all of them, um, really it's to see the souls saved of people, your soul if you're listening and, and haven't made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, by this mighty God who made you and desires you to be a part of his program rather than you just following the desires of your own heart and your own program based on either conceit or ignorance. Okay, so that's that's what I'm covering and that's probably enough for me.
Uh, could you tell them, go back to you on whole screen, Craig, if you can do that for him, Joe. Um, where is your museum in Tasmania? Because many Australians barely know Tasmania exists. It's somewhere down towards Antarctica. Um, can, can you tell people where in Tasmania your museum is? Yes, okay. So um, there's two major airports that people fly into in Tasmania, uh, Hobart in the south, which is our capital of the state, and Launceston in the north. You can fly into a couple of the other smaller centres, but uh, we're best if you fly into Launceston or catch the ferry into Devonport, and we're an hour from both of those locations right in the north of the state. So come and visit yeah. us. Amen to that. See these yes, indeed. that you're going to get from from uh, from Vance shortly. So I'll take over with my brief ministry report. And Joe, I suspect that because of the content of this, it might be wise to have a short Q&A if there's any questions after this one, because yeah. I'm going to touch on dinosaurs as well. So uh, uh, if, if you can put uh, uh, me back on the screen whole, I don't know where, yes, there I am at the top. Um, one of the things I've done is I've done a lot of uh, work with Vance over the years. Yes, he is in Canada, and uh, that is almost like the Arctic sometimes because I've been there when it's been <coughs> minus 30, 40, 60. Uh, not Australian weather at all, and snow rather than rain, although I've had plenty of slush as well and muddy streets, and, and you name you name the weather, and I've basically been in it. And there is nothing worse than going looking for dinosaur bones when the ground is covered with snow. But nevertheless, we've been down to the USA as well on, on ministry trips. And Vance and I have done a lot of collecting together in the dinosaur fields. And in fact, because Craig mentioned to me the other day the sort of fossils he was hoping to get from Vance, um, I thought, well, yes, I remember getting some things like that. So, if Craig, uh, Jose, can you put my uh, first slides up, please, mate? Okay, so our first part here, before we do the polystrate section that George Bond is hanging on the edge of his seat, waiting to see what we say, and more, more for you later, George, after question time. There's our new logo, basically designed by Sam and touched up by our artist, creationresearch.net. But going on from this, why aren't we moving, Craig? Yeah. I'm Have you brought up your PowerPoints, John? You need to go down to your PowerPoint presentation. We've just yeah. put it up on the screen here. Okay, so, okay, um, it's not doing it. Why am, why am I not getting anywhere, Joe? We have this trouble. Go down to your PowerPoint presentation, John, down at the bottom of the screen. Bring yeah. it up in front of you. Click on it and then click right. I'm sorry, but we are actually, I'm, are you sure I don't need to go to there? No, that's not it either. Something exactly down, the same thing is going on. Down at the yeah. bottom of your screen. I've got the, the um, PowerPoint. Yeah. Okay, so here we are. Now we're back. We're back out again. That's okay. no good at all. Um, uh, okay, Joe, we're going to have to go behind the screens again and uh, sort fine. it out. So, if you want to take over the Q and A while Sam I'll helps me, I'll take over some Q and A. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, I'll put you on mute, John, while you speak to Sam. Yeah. Uh, there we go. All right. Uh, of course, that means that the Q&A is over to me to organize. So let's have a little bit of a look back uh, through the comments. I think we've had a few comments and questions come up. So let's have a look and see what we've got. It's good to see a good, uh, good going in the chat again, which is wonderful. 
Uh, where are we here? Question. How do evolutionists explain the evolution process from a tadpole to a frog? Diane, I think that's a comment for you. I mean, would we even call the transition from a tadpole to a frog evolution? I mean, it's certainly changed. <clears throat> well, it's certainly changed. There, there's a lot of change that happens in biology, but none of it's evolution. And in fact, the, the uh, transition from a tadpole to a frog is a classic example of this. Um, it's called metamorphosis, which simply means to change form. So it's exactly the same creature. It's just changing its form. So it's not evolving into anything. And uh, you can prove that because the frogs will lay eggs and uh, the eggs will hatch out into tadpoles and you will go round and round this cycle over and over again. But at no stage does the tadpole become anything other than a frog and at no stage do the frogs lay anything except eggs that hatch out into tadpoles. So, yes, there is a lot of change, and some of it is quite spectacular. I mean, the, the transition from a swimming creature with a tail and gills and no legs into uh, a, a creature with four legs and uh, that hops and breathes air is quite spectacular, but uh, it's certainly not evolution, and there's no evidence that frogs have ever been anything else but frogs. We've actually got a specimen of the oldest frog in our collection at Creation Research, and we show it to people and ask them, well, what is this? And they say, well, it's a frog. And uh, so the oldest frog has been a fully formed frog, and uh, however old you want to make it, it has multiplied after its kind, and so we still have the same frogs swimming around uh, in uh, all, all over the world that lay eggs that turn into tadpoles that turn into frogs and around the cycle goes after their kind so no evolution lots of change but no evolution no, we, we actually um breed breed shrimp as well and um, oh yes mm. it's the same process they they on a daily basis uh, in the first sort of six seven days of their life they 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 morph into different uh, stages of metamorphosis until they uh, they go through different um, yeah stages until they metamorphose into a, um, a, a full shrimp, but they're always yeah. shrimp. No, that's mm. interesting. Uh, Absolutely. Yes, it, it happens um, in in quite a few other creatures, but it's a built-in design feature, and it only works if all of those stages are already built into the organism to occur at different stages during the during its yeah. life cycle. One of the creatures that really fascinates me, I mean, the frog to, you know, tadpole to frog or frog spawn to tadpole to frog is amazing. Yes. But to me, the uh, the most amazing one is when you have something like a moth or a butterfly and you yes. start out with a worm and mm. the worm turns itself into soup, completely destroys itself biologically <laughs> and then reforms into a completely different creature. It's yeah. like, you know, the world's apart, quite literally. Mm. So it's... Um, it's quite amazing, but like you say, it's a it's a built-in design. It's a built-in mechanism. It's already programmed to do that, um, provided it's not eaten by a bird beforehand, which, of course, is the result of sin. So there we go. Um, 
All right, a quick question uh, before we see where John and Sam are. Uh, just up here, it's, will you be uploading the seminars from the Rocks Cry Out convention? Some of them will certainly be up on the website, um, the YouTube channel, rather, uh, for sure. Uh, some of them will be up on our streaming site, which will be uh, pay to stream. Uh, some of them may even end up as DVDs, so watch this space. One thing we have said is that we will provide copies of them to the attendees of the um, uh, of the convention, uh, probably via a streaming link, but I'm afraid you will have to wait a few more weeks until that's available. We'd like to have them available by Christmas, but they do need to be compiled together and uh, edited a small amount and pulled together and so on and so forth, and that takes time, and uh, as I say, we're on the road at the moment, so it'll be a little bit longer before that's available. Um, but certainly we will probably make the virtual um, speakers available on our YouTube channel. The others that were filmed will probably be available as streaming or DVDs. Certainly the evolution and the iniquity of our father's presentation, which we did on the last night. I would like to make some DVDs out of that, but that all, uh, all depends on what we can do in the next few weeks. Anyway, let's hide the question. Let's see where we are with John and with Sam. How are you doing? Well, well, I think Sam has yeah. sorted the issue out. Sam, you, can you still see me on screen there? Yeah, I, I, you're still coming through on camera. I'm going to put your presentation yeah. on, so just cycle through as and when. Okay, so uh, something seems to go wrong when I try to swap on to restream, and it's probably me that I'm going to blame the machine anyway. So we are back at the uh, new logo where you can see a dinosaur there alongside of tree, alongside of Adam, and uh, that's where we're going to take a start because I'm going to take you to the northeast of the USA, one of the digs that we went to. You can see our big arrow. And uh, there's the team that turned out that day. You can see all the layers. And uh, there's Vance in the top left-hand corner. Okay, I'm taking the pictures while these guys do the work. That's the Fair Enough Division of Labor, Brains and Brawn. And uh, what are we after? Well, they're underneath the uh, slabs here, and you can get the either the impression or the, the casting of it coming in from the top. There is one set of dinosaur prints. You can see where the mud has been squashed down. Uh, these creatures have been walking through some mud or running through some mud, and then material has come along after that, filled them in and preserved them. And yes, as Craig pointed out, the prints seem to be going in different directions and there are different sizes. Now, there's Vance, a much younger version of the current one, and uh, he's pointing at something. We've outlined it in chalk. Okay, so you can actually see the, the toe marks. You can see the claw marks. Uh, you can see a, a, a three-toed print, uh, almost a little heel and almost a thumb-like thing or a big toe-like thing coming out on the left-hand side there. Okay, there's our labor and brains together as we cut out. Yes, you have to take a big, uh, you know, generator in to run your power saws. And these are diamond tip power saws to cut through the rocks and uh, get out the actual fossils that, you know, are on the top or underneath. Okay, there's one that I bought home. Now, nice specimen, correct? You can see we've darkened the actual prints. And what's amazing about this site, it's not just a place where the prints have been preserved, now, if I can encourage you, run some experiments yourself, run along the, uh, the, the sand of the beach and 
then look at the prints behind you and watch them disappear as the next wave rolls over the top. Then do the same in mud and you'll find that prints are notorious for not having a very long lifespan if they're in either a fast tidal zone or a wave zone or anything like that. But if you want to know how quickly these prints form, then have a look at some of the things that are found with them. You see the nice um, toe mark on the right-hand side? Now, do you see something else interesting in the picture? Yes, you're quite right. There are fishes in here. Yes, fishes. Fossil fishes alongside of the dinosaur prints. Now, I'm sure you can imagine that fishes are lying there and the dinosaur stomps on top of them. But no, they didn't get squashed by the dinosaur. These are washed in and buried and the dinosaur is walking alongside. So well preserved, we can even detect scales and all sorts of interesting things. So it's not just a dinosaur footprint site, it's a rapid burial fish site and dinosaurs. The, these creatures are definitely in water. Um, by the way, it does help perhaps answer another question because some people have said, how could such huge creatures live on the land? The weight would be unbearable for them. Well, myself and quite a few others reached the conclusion ages ago that many of the biggest dinosaurs held themselves up by living in water. So just like that behemoth and leviathan mentioned in Job, they seem to have been creatures that lived along the edge of the sea and mostly used the water to hold up their huge weight. A great specimen, Craig, I'd encourage you, uh, put it on display, uh, put a, a lovely explanation of it, and uh, you, you'll find it will add an awful lot to your museum down there just north of Launceston. You can put me back on full screen, Sam. That may have generated a few more questions. Do I need to do something? You can't put me on full screen? What do you mean full screen? Do you want to be I mean, blown you can up? See me. You can see me. Yeah, We can all see you, John. You need to press your Windows key and click on your browser, which will bring you back to us. Okay, there we are. All right, so there we are. Yep, very good. And a good-looking bloke, too. Excellent. Do we have any Humble more? Uh, any more? Humble as always. <laughs> Do we have any more questions come through in the last uh, few minutes, Sam? Um, one more, uh, Doki Doki. Yeah, I've, I've got one here from Doki Doki. Uh, here it says... Uh, I just heard a popular Christian podcast say tectonics explains sediment levels in the ocean and fossils on mountains, so that shouldn't be used as evidence. Can you comment? Go. Okay, well, tectonics in one sense does explain uh, sediment levels uh, or certainly fossils on mountains because you've got to ask, well, how did these mountains form? See, we have a fossil which comes from the Himalayas, right? If you look at how the Himalayas formed, it's certainly tectonic activity. It's certainly two continental plates smashing into each other and forcing uh, the mountains to rise up. Similar kind of story with the Alps. Um, so it was be safe to say, I think, and John can comment, that Mount Everest wasn't there before Noah's flood. Um, we know that because it's got it's got seashells on it, right? And so it was laid down in layers. 
You've then got an end of the flood activity, which forces the continents to collide together and kind of smash upwards into mountains. So in one sense, it is tectonic activity. But if you're going to get that volume of Jurassic sediment, because that's what it is, right? If you're going to get that volume of Jurassic sediment laid down, remember we mentioned the Jurassic sediment goes all over the world, right? That requires a worldwide flood. If you want to have continents crash into each other and force themselves up without destroying the fossils that are inside it so you do it while it's still relatively soft that requires incredible tectonic forces beyond anything that we see today in uh, you know continental drift so we're certainly talking about a much much bigger process than one that we observe today it's not a case of the present is the key to the past we're looking at evidence of something much much larger than that now you've got to think of the global flood of the big picture you've got to think of the fountains of the great deep bursting open yeah, that's going to involve tectonic activity you have to think of large amounts of sediment being ripped up eroded and swept into position burying and fossilizing creatures and you have to consider what it infers inside at the end of the flood in genesis and in psalm 104 where it says that the mountains rose up the valleys went down and the waters flooded off of the earth right now that is an excellent description of very fast tectonic activity forcing the mountains up the valleys down and the water to wash off of the land into the sea you're certainly looking at evidence of that when you see these uh, fossils up on the top of the mountains it's a large scale tectonic evidence activity um john um basically what most people don't appreciate is if you lift the whole land up say a foot or a third of a meter the amount of force involved in that is unbelievable. It's like, so, you know, getting a car jack and trying to lift the skyscraper up just a third of a meter. Uh, the forces are unbelievable. But it's also true in reverse. If you've lifted your mountain up, it's now got um, a gravitational potential for erosion, which is greater than what used to exist at that spot. So your rate of erosion will actually increase dramatically and uh, so that you lift this land up and then it erodes faster off the top and acts as a burial agent for many of the creatures or plants or even the rocks and, and minerals on this side. So you can't sort of shift the surface of the ground without increasing the amount of erosion. In fact, many of the mountains through Lebanon and that, when it says it explains the sediment levels in the, in the ocean, sediment in the ocean today is mostly very fine grained and uh, you know mostly microscopic creatures and things like that nothing like the flood deposition of massive fish beds burial where you go to lebanon and see squids with their ink sacs still preserved um, all sorts of beautiful stuff you can get that are dramatic evidence that something has poured in rapidly and that's why you get such mixtures you know they've been walking on the beaches seeing pine trees buried with ammonites and you even see like um, off Lyme Regis, there are massive big shells and lepidodendrums, land-based plants, sometimes that thick, buried alongside them, sometimes in big tangles. Now, the only way you get that is if something lifted up the plants and then eroded it dramatically. They won't just fall over if they're lifted up. They have to get from there to out where the sea is. So, yes, there is a truth in the comment that tectonics meaning uplift or movement in the earth, will produce massive layers of sediment as well as mixing of land and sea creatures. 
Good stuff. Thank you for that, John. And uh, let's have one more uh, question, Sam, if we've got it before we um, before we move on to John's main segment and our main topic of tonight, which is of course polystrate trees. What what questions did you do during uh, the? Um... We did a question. That's a very good point. We did a question right. We basically worked our way down from the beginning. We did a question about the. Um, the recordings from the convention, and we also yep. had a question about the evolution of tadpoles. Okay, okay. Did you do the super stickers? We did not. That's a very Aha, good Aha, there we go. Right, now I've got now I've got a job I can do. Thank you very much, Doki Doki, for one forty-nine US buckaroos, a red rose. There you are. And oh, super lovely. chat from George mm. Bond. Uh, super chat for 20 Aussie buckaroos. You all need a coffee. I've already got one. Don't worry. I'm well ahead of you, George. All, all good. Um, but yeah, so that's that in terms of super chats and super stickers. I will just do a double check to make sure that there are no other questions because there's one that has come through that's a bit more involved that we might not have time to delve with into properly. Uh, as far as I can see, that's it. So we might as well move on to the next section for now. That's right. okay. Oh, oh, oh! Hang on, hang on! Whoa, Doki's come in. Look at that! Just as just as uh, I'm wrapping up, coming in with one ninety nine US buckaroos, a rainbow clapperboard with the words "behind the scenes." <laughs> right, I have no idea what a rainbow clapperboard is. It must be a an English concept or an American concept. What is uh, a rainbow? Don't blame us for that, John. Don't blame you, us for that. You, it's one of those things where you, get, you see it, if you're watching a film's behind the scenes they go oh take one mark and it goes like oh that. right that's what it's you call that. the audio with the video right thank you sam for that translation yeah. into english that's go. really appreciated all right um i'm going to do the first section here um i'll do it live full screen then hopefully the uh, guys will guide me so that i don't just appear off screen again and mess it all up so let me just show you a fossil if you want to put me on full screen please joe Right? Can you see that fossil there? Uh, can you see this group of fossils? Look at all my trilobites. Isn't that a beautiful set of specimens in that cast there? But of course, in this real one, um, do you notice you can see straight into the eyeballs of the trilobite? Now, what we say is that this is laid down in the strata, in the layers, and that this actually is a strata of trilobites. It's single straight monostrata if you like but of course when i turn my trilobite around can you see something there's the bit we were looking at first in the layer but if you go around a bit further you'll discover where we are there we are there get my fingers out of the road that it actually goes down at right angles so if the first one's in the layer the actual right hand side of it which pokes down must be going across some of the other layers now, by the time you get to big fossils, like one of our tree trunks, just a portion of it that we dug up at Jurassic Ark, um, this is out of a sandstone. And the sandstone is made of grains of sand. And technically, as Professor Derek Ager points out, anything that's bigger than a grain of sand overlaps two grains of sand. So it must be polystrat because your actual layers are made of sand. Sometimes you can see a distinct break uh, I mean, if I grab this one here, uh, this is what makes us geologists have good muscles. Do you see the trees? In fact, if I turn it over, can you see the flat tree just down there? But if I turn it around here, 
you can see that flat bit of tree. Yes, it's a nice big slice of the tree is actually running parallel to all the layers, as are these ones. But the minute those trees actually cross layers, look, can you see the fact that by the time we get to this side, where's it gone? There we are. I hope I don't drop this on the computer. Otherwise, Joe, you'll have to send me some money. Can you actually see that that bit of slab is thicker than any layer you can see in the sandstone there? So that bit of fossil itself is actually polystrate, whether it's standing upright or not. Now, here's what we need to do is go back to my slides. So guide me, guys. Tell me how to do that. Silence. Oh, how do we do that? There you go. I need to go there back go. to my You're all good, Joe. Start talking. Yeah. John, you want to go down to the bottom of your screen, find yeah. your PowerPoint presentation, hover over that, click on the PowerPoint yeah. presentation, bring it up, and I then... I can't find uh, my screen. It, I can't find my PowerPoint. That's the trouble. It seems to disappear. But where does it go? It should just be down at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the page, same place that it was before. No, it wasn't there before. That's the trouble. That's why we okay. disappeared. So what do I How have did you get, get him to? back last time, Sam? He was already on it. He just needs to click into it. Oh, okay. Right, okay. I, can't, I can't see it. There's nothing across the bottom of the screen, guys. I hate to tell you this. Okay, um, just click on it. Can you see your slides in front of you? No, I can't. Not anymore. That's what trouble. It disappears. Sorry for all you listeners, but um, last generation technology in the head. So where, do, where does it go? Last time we went all the way yeah. back and started again. Yeah, well, you've got it up on the. We, we, we've got them still available yeah. to put up on the screen, so you should have a PowerPoint presentation there somewhere. So, um, so what should should happen if you, if you hover your mouse over the PowerPoint logo? Yeah, I don't have a PowerPoint though. That's the trouble. It's not visible anywhere. Do you have a logo down at the bottom of your screen? We don't have a logo either. It seems to not be mm. there. Okay. Well, you, you you start off with yours, Joe, and I'll have to come. I'll back start off with mine, and we'll get we'll yeah. get Sam back back on, and then yeah. um, we'll get Sam to get you back on, and then we'll go from there. So you've already given us an established of what the yeah. uh, what a polystrate yeah. means. So we'll go on to my little bit, and we've got a little video to watch as well, and then uh, we'll we'll move on. So I'll leave you and Sam to get back on, and then we'll just run straight in and go from there. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get my screens up then. Um, because we've seen this before, but it's worth repeating, and we've got a little bit different. Just checking that we can see me up on the screen as we can. Wonderful, that's what we want. Um, okay, so we're on a UK field trip now. This was actually last year, uh, but like you say, we do lots of field trips, so do come along to one if you can it's well worth coming and seeing this was uh, one of our field trips last year and we are at a place called derbyshire which is in pretty much the center of the uk it's in the peak district we've got some great geology some great things we were digging through and there in the background is mam tor which is quite a famous uh, mountain or hill here in the uk very mountainous looking uh, and you can see all the layers and these layers are what are known as carboniferous now we've dealt a lot with layers diane talked about devonian we've spoken about jurassic carboniferous full of carbon it's where the coal is in fact if you look on the uh, 
left-hand side of the picture, you can see that black rock. It's a shale. Shale is layers and layers of thin mudstone. And if you pick up this shale and break it open, it stinks like a diesel engine because it's got lots and lots of carbon in it. It's got oil in it. Um, lots of coal from this area as well. We're right next to the famous Blue John mine, um, where the, the, the famous sort of semi precious stone comes out of the beautiful blue crystals okay what are we doing here well we're looking for fossils of course we are and do we find fossils yes we do we're here in the carboniferous uh, if you're over in the states by the way you don't call it the carboniferous because you couldn't possibly go over the english names so you call it pennsylvanian and mississippian no guesses as to what they're named after um but have a look at what we're starting to pull out can you see the plant the fossil plant now when you first pull these out because they're carbon rich they begin to oxidize when they reach the air and you can begin to see a bit clearer what we're actually looking at. You see where I'm pointing out the arrows? Oh, we've shared this on here before. I'm sure we have. This was actually just the first ever, you know, I was just there showing people, oh, look, this is what you do in order to find fossils. You split rocks open like this and, oh, look what we found. It was pretty spectacular. Get up nice and close, put it under a special um, filter. Can you see the fossil thorns? There's no doubt about it. These are thorns for sure. And we've spoken about thorns before. That's not the focus of our topic tonight, but it's an important one because we're asking the question, how old are these polystrate fossils, these fossils that go through many layers of strata, and how long could they take to actually form? And it's a good place to start with a biblical perspective. So the Carboniferous is supposed to be around 304 million years old. That's the age of these supposed rocks. Now let's go to Northumberland. And hey, now we're getting into the real polystrate fossils. Can you see the rather fantastic lycopod tree uh, right next to me there? This is also Carboniferous rocks. And you've got this spectacular lycopod tree with the bark still on it and a bit of a root system, bit of a bulb, and it's protruding up through multiple layers of rock. Interesting. Um, we're looking at these rock layers here, and these rock layers are supposed to be about 318 million years old, about the same kind of age. These are also Carboniferous, full of coal. You can see all the coal seams all the way along. And yes, also out of here, we dig out fossil thorns. Nice, beautiful fossil thorns. Take them home, dry them out, clean them up a bit. Really beautiful fossils. Okay, question. Northumberland, UK. Polystrate trees fossil thorns. How long have you got to bury them? Because the fact that we find thorns here adds an extra dimension to the age, because these are supposed to be 318 million years old, but according to scripture, they're not. What am I talking about? There it is there. Then God said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, the ground is cursed for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. You do realize that scripture is not just history of the world, it's not just history of the universe, it's not just history of our salvation or God's salvation plan, it's also history of thorns and of thistles. Now, scripture is abundantly clear. Thorns and thistles are the result of the curse. Thorns and thistles are the result of man's sin. Therefore, thorns and thistles were not on this planet until after Adam sinned, until after man was on the planet. Therefore, these are less 
than 10,000 years old at the most. Oh, yes, I say at the most because if you count up the genealogies, you get to an age of the Earth of somewhere between six to 7,000 years. If you want to argue that there are gaps in the genealogies and you want to stretch the genealogies as long as you possibly can, the oldest you can possibly make the Earth is about 10,000 years. Beyond that, you're simply not taking Scripture at its word. Now, I don't believe there are gaps in the genealogies. I believe the Earth to be about six to 7,000 years old. However, despite this, even the oldest age biblically uh, that you can get is still less than 10,000 years. Now, that puts the 318 million years into jeopardy according to Scripture. Interesting point. But let's get back to this polystrate tree here. Now, we I saw this on a geology group, and I said, oh, I have to go see it. I asked very nicely, could you tell me where you found this? Oh, yes, here it is. Off we popped to go and have a look at it, and we got some pretty spectacular results from it. It was well worth the journey up, beautiful fossils, and a beautiful polystrate tree. Now, this was the best preserved one, but there are actually multiple others, and what was interesting is we also found roots but the roots weren't joined to the bulb of the tree. The roots were actually above the tree. Interesting little thought. How did they get up there? And the roots that we found weren't even connected to any tree at all. They'd been ripped off for sure. Interesting. Well, let's have a look at a little video now. If I just escape and come out of this, we've got a little video just to show just a few minutes long of our discoveries when we actually went to see this. We put it out on our Facebook, I believe, uh, when we first went to go and see this over a year ago now, but it's well worth the watch. Hello and welcome back to Creation Research Live. I'm Indiana Joe, and yes, we're back on the beach in Northumberland. This is our last day here. We've been filming for the upcoming series of Creation Research Unplugged. That's our second series. So uh, do make sure you tune into that on creationresearchlive.com. But if you remember yesterday from our broadcast, we were having a look at this tree here. Oh, it's a fossil tree. It's a polystrate tree. Poly means many. Straight refers to strata or layers. This is a tree which is protruding through many different layers. And we were talking to you about the bark and how brilliantly preserved it is. It's a lycopod tree. We were talking to you about, you can see how it's got this base that comes out. No apparent roots. It's definitely got a big bulb on it though. It should have plenty of soil if it was living here, growing here and dying here, but there's no soil at all. All of the sediment is squashed up around it. This tree has been transported here. A huge flooding event that has washed it into place. Now, since coming here, and we've been doing lots of filming, we've been doing lots of finding fossils, so we want to show you some of the fossils, as well, as well as some of the other trees that we've found, because this is by far the best preserved one, but we've actually found six other trees along here. So come along with me, and um, let's see if we can spot any more of them. Now, there are two just quite close together up here, and you can see the same thing in every single one of them. So here's one here. Again, it's not as well preserved or it's become a lot more eroded, but you can see the edge of it, the um, coal which is just running down there. You can kind of see the general structure. There's another one just behind me here that you can see as well. So there's two. There's uh, another one over here. And there's actually one that is uh, 
quite a bit higher up. So I've been excavating this one. We only saw just the tip of it, um, but it, it does certainly seem that the top has been ripped in half. You can actually see where the coal actually finishes around there. So this is a tree which has had its top completely ripped off and just its stump fossilized here. Um, there's no evidence whatsoever that it was ever growing further up. It's literally been ripped in half. Again, it didn't live here, it didn't die here, uh, it didn't get buried here, it's been ripped up and it's been swept along. Come back along with me and you can see another one here. And this is one which we've also excavated and uncovered. Look at this, you can see the details of the bark and all the ridges. You can see the coal still in there. It goes up into the cliff, but we're not wanting to uh, destroy all of this cliff to expose some more. But you can see the coal down the bottom here. This is actually a really, really big tree. So there's another one. And then finally, we're not going to be able to show you all the rest of them. They're too far to go. But I do want to show you this fossil up here. Um, I'm gonna, you stay down there, Sarah Ann. I'll climb up here. Can you see up on here, we've got another, this is a horsetail fern, um, which is cutting up through the rocks. Again, polystrate. It's protruding its way up through many different layers. And all of this evidence goes to show that it did not live here, it did not die here, it did not get buried here. These have been washed into position. And the fact that they're cutting up through many layers well, there's some pretty big cliffs here. This is a pretty big deposit. And it was Professor Derek Ager who first uh, admitted the problem. He was by no means a friend of the Bible, but even he admitted it is ludicrous to assume that if these dates are correct, then it would have taken over 100,000 years just to bury one of these trees. Ridiculous statistics, there's no way they'd have survived. I'll tell you something else that wouldn't have survived, fossils. And we've been finding plenty of them, so follow me back over here to our uh, base camp. We've got some fabulous fossils that we've been digging up over the past two days. Fossils which are, well, they're living fossils. Living fossils was a term coined by Charles Darwin. Um, they were supposed to be anomalies, but they're really very common. They're creatures which haven't changed in the slightest. We've also found some fossils which you can find all across the world in these carboniferous deposits. Carboniferous? Oh, just refers to the coal. Have a look up there. Can you see the coal seam running along the top there? Carboniferous refers to coal. In the USA, they're known as Pennsylvanian or Mississippian. But come and have a look at some of these fabulous fossils that we found. This is one of my favourite. There's so much going on here. Um, get it nice and in focus there. Can you see all the mash of fossils? I mean, we've got horsetails, we've got little tiny ferns, we've got these little seed cones here as well, um, like from the Lepidodendron stuff. It's absolutely fantastic. Huge, great big fossils as well. This is a wonderful, beautiful little... Uh, fossil there can you see absolutely stunning all the leaves intact of the stem as well um wonderful fossils fossil thorns as well which we've been finding there back at home um more of these great big horsetail rushes as well wonderful fossils now all of these fossils go forward to show one very important point and it ties in quite nicely with the fossil tree if you want to get a fossil you need to bury it quickly you need to bury it deeply and you need to bury it without the presence of oxygen now this is supposed to be a swamp like environment which slowly accumulates over hundreds of thousands if not millions of years now you've got two problems with that first of all you'd never actually get a fossil uh, in the slightest. They would just become destroyed. If you want to get beautifully preserved fossils like this, you need to bury it very quickly indeed. 
Also, your biggest problem are these trees. The fact that they protrude up through many layers shows that they had to have been buried very quickly indeed. They wouldn't sit around for 100,000 years waiting to slowly be fossilised. All of the evidence from there being no roots, from the sediment pushed up around them, from them being transported into place, goes to show that they were buried very, very quickly. Oh, and one final point, we've found these trees all around the world. I personally have seen them in Tennessee. If it wasn't for the fact that we were right next to a beach, you wouldn't know that these weren't in Tennessee, just looking at the trees themselves. We've also found them down in Newcastle in Australia. We've found them in Nova Scotia. We've found them in Canada and Alaska. They're all over the world. Wonderful evidence of a massive major catastrophe which washed over the land, sweeping these all into position. Evidence of Noah's flood. So there you go, a little on the field report from Creation Research UK. Um, John, are you back up and working now? Oh, we're muted. Hold up on, there you go. Up, so there we are. I'm not going to put me back on full screen in case I disappear right off the, the earth again. So here's Australia. You can see Brisbane. I live just outside of Brisbane. And you can see Sydney. And you can even see Tasmania down the bottom. Now, it's roughly 600 miles. Uh, for those of you in America, or a thousand kilometres for those of you on metric between Brisbane and Sydney. Now, there's the state of Queensland. Jurassic Arc is in Queensland. And I'm showing you this so you can actually get an idea of some of the scale of these things. Gympie to Brisbane. I travelled it twice yesterday to retrieve our credit card machines for ministry this weekend. Um, it's, it's 120 miles, 190, roughly 200 kilometres to Jurassic Arc. Um, in the early days, we're doing exploration. There's our geologist, Liam. He's uh, using a water excavator. Great, great to be able to do this. Um, Liam's a gold geologist, but been a great help out at Jurassic Arc. You can see the big uh, dam behind, which gave rise to finding some of these things. And uh, we had some reporters from one of the newspapers turn up, big Australian newspaper, and we were showing them some of the things we'd found. You can see Liam pointing to uh, some orange and white layers. You can see a pine log labelled at the back. The orange and white layers show the direction of the strata. There's the strata direction. And you can see a polystrate tree at Jurassic Arc. It's at right angles almost to the direction of the strata. And you're looking at the bottom end. It has no roots. To date, we've found no branches on it. There's a big broken log to the right-hand side, um, but no branches or roots on it as well. Definitely polystrate or many layers. All right, so there's the newspaper man taking some pictures. And this is going to turn into a full-page article in the Australian um, big, biggest daily newspaper. Okay, strata, strata and tree. And uh, th it was very evident that the layers of rock were deposited in less time than the pine tree, which is what we're looking at, the polystrate pine tree, actually took to rot. Why do I mention that? Pine trees are softwood. Whether they're oricary in Australia or oricary in England, they're softwood. You don't use them for building the outsides of building. Keep them inside. Keep them out of the weather. They rot really quickly. Now, the newspaper man's comment, we are impressed. And yeah, they didn't like the implications of what we were doing, but they were impressed with the findings. Polystrate trees at Jurassic Arc, they cross many layers. Now, if we move now from Gympie via Caloundra out to a town of Gatton, 
a big farming community there's one of the road cuts now fantastic layers black white black white but the black in this case is caused by trees pine trees that have been squashed and carbonized in where you find them squashed because they were soft buried and full of water when they were squashed the tree is preserved some of it's carbonized oh why we're doing this polystrate program george bond asked us a question about polystrates now this is an introduction to that question and george don't worry if we don't answer it today we'll get all the pictures ready and show you the evidence uh, of what's actually inside these polystrate trees in many locations around the planet now this is a horizontal tree but you'll notice one thing it's half the thickness of my hammer handle so therefore it crosses many layers even laying down horizontally at one end there's a log jam and the rocks here well you can see half squashing of the trees at the other end yes you can see many rocks many fossils and they're going in all directions it's definitely logs that are jammed up and it's in Jurassic rock same as Jurassic Arc is it but here's the giveaway there's two semi-horizontal logs you can see the bottom one you can see the base of the tree you can see the roots have been ripped off on the top one you can see part of the trunk you can't see the base but in the middle can you see the one that's crossing many layers that's polystrate it's at 45 degrees to the main angle of the bedding polystrate crosses many layers sometimes they just go across two sometimes they're just thicker than several grains of sand and as Derek Age and others have pointed out every fossil is in essence polystrate so how do you bury it before it disintegrates how do you bury it in the case of well the biggest polystrate tree I've seen is a hundred feet tall 30 meters which meant it was buried from one end to the other before it fell over hmm smashed polystrate log one thing you can be dogmatic about this site it never was a fossil forest and we've gone on to investigate all the Jurassic rocks in Australia and they're full of smashed logs full of horizontal logs and full of very obvious polystrate logs in fact at Jurassic Arc we have a big poster painting of the various polystrate logs that we've actually been to as proof of Noah's flood hence Jurassic Arc not Jurassic Park um, they're, they're the ones that I've seen and found around the planet. We won't go into it, all of them today. Keep watching for the uh, polystrate program on search for science, whatever it is, standing for truth towards the end of October. So go to their website and find out exactly when it is. And you hear a lot more about these. Uh, first of all, the famous one on the top left-hand corner. Original etching. Uh, where was that tree found? Not far from where my dad grew up in Leith in Scotland, the old Leith Quarry closed now but you can see this one's at 45 degrees now it may be easy to explain a tree that's vertical because it grew there was held up by the roots it's easy to explain one that's horizontal because it had fallen over and washed into place how do you deal with trees that are at 45 degrees and what's inside them is it is it petrified is it just permineralized that's the question that somebody asks standing for truth well I can tell you where it is today um, yes, I travel to go and see my dad's um, old family house and all of that, visit the nearby, and you'll find there's the tree. There's the original one. 
right? It's now lying horizontal because some workmen took it and laid it in the botanic gardens. So you can see it's a fair-sized tree. But see at the other end, no roots came with it. No branches appear on it. And it's pretty solid. Um, is it petrified? Or is it just a cast that was filled in with minerals later on? Either way, you have a tree that you have to explain. Now, here's our rather renowned polystrate tree tank. Oh, yes, it's just a big aquarium. And uh, we sink rocks into that. I'll show you more, sink trees rather, a, a, a little later. I'll show you more of those experiments. But look, when you actually get, there's how many of the trees end up. Some of them are leaning against the glass and they're obviously at an angle. But see the one on the right? It's not leaning against the walls. It's just standing up at 45 degrees. And because we progressively filled this, can you see the one in the direct front? Um, no, it's not leaning on the glass. It's actually in the tank. And you can see the layers of sandy material that are burying it. You can make copies of these polystrate trees just simply by getting a pile of sticks. I'll keep watching and I'll show you the rest of the technique. But can I encourage you, whether it's Joe in England or Diane and I and Craig in Australia, all this sort of research costs and it does need your support. So we'd encourage you to give and give generously towards it. Even the cost of making up logos. Yep, small I know, but it is significant. Now, this is the main portion of this next section because it deals with the history of the trees that we found because God has blessed us with finding many trees in the rocks. Oh, I've quoted from King James here, you will go out with joy. I'll be honest, I love going on field trips. You'll be led forth with peace. Yes, beating the rocks is a good way to relieve your frustration, but this is the peace of the Lord. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You know, you'll find the trees, uh, uh, trees that uh, in, in, in history, these are the trees that their branches are waving. But it's also true of the trees that are dead and buried, and some of them are beautifully preserved, and all of them are a reminder of rapid processes. Let's have a look. Here's some of the first ones I came across. Yes, other people found that, not me, but I went to check it out. Can you see the two trees from the bottom coal layer? Now, when these were first found, the geologist who found them said, they went from one coal seam to the next. Now, these are pine trees. Pine trees don't like coal swamps. They don't like swamps at all. Not Australian pine trees. And uh, they would rot and disintegrate. But, of course, by the time I came across this site, um, there were people poo-pooing. You can't show the trees went from one coal seam up through the next coal seam. In fact, there's the diagram I presented to the Sydney Basin Coal Conference and later we produced in one of the creation articles. Hmm, coal at the bottom, coal at the top, no roots known, and the pine trees going upright through it. There's the technical diagram. Some of you who subscribed to the technical journal years ago may remember that. That's my first diagram there, showing the various beds of muddied, um, stratified, tuff, a volcanic eruption material. But was this the tree just buried in volcanic ash? Well, let's go back and do some excavating. For those people who think you can't have trees going through coal seams, can you see the horizontal black lines? We've excavated those to show that this pine tree, even at the bottom, goes up through many 
coal seam layers. That's my friend Jeff Smith, who died a couple of years ago. He's a Christian guy, so I know exactly where he is. He's better off than down here with Putin and, and the Ukraine and all sorts of politicians wanting the taxes to go up. There's the excavation. Now, we spent many hours excavating that tree. Can you see the black layers? It goes through multiple coal seams. So you've got ash, mud, then a coal seam. Ash, mud, then a coal seam. Oh, and by the way, this is a pine tree, but at the bottom, there are no pine leaves. So even as the first professor who excavated here, the trees that he found out, he said they didn't grow here because there's no pine tree mulch at the bottom. Look, there you are close up. A pine tree standing upright going through multiple coal seams. Now, that's not the ones referred to in the original report. You see, by the time we actually excavated from top to bottom, yes, where did it go? Well, not just through the multiple coal seams, but can you see the black layers? Well, the black layers aren't coal that grew in a swamp because look at the angles of the black layers. These have been washed in or blown. Ah, debris washed in, blown in, and a tree going upright through them. Well, let's go up to the top. There's Jeff and me sitting above the top pile at coal seam. What are we doing? We're finding the fact that the tree actually goes through the top coal seam and further up. Now, just to prove my copyright on this, I took some lovely plastic bags, put a note inside it and said, found an excavator by John Mackay and Jeff Smith on the date. I did that because no one else could then claim we didn't actually find this tree. No one had gone to the trouble of digging up this pine tree. We know it's a pine tree. It's got the, the actual full identification of the pine tree in the rings that sort of go radially and the rings that go around and round. Yep, there's me. I need these proof shots. And between the top pilot seam and the lower pilot seam, there's all those mini coal seams. In fact, there's another one we spotted. It goes a pine tree going up into the top pilot coal seam and coming from the bottom. Wow. Now, did you hear about these sort of things in your coal seam geology? No, and you didn't hear about these either. Yes, I know there's not many geologists that travel with brooms, but if you want to clean the cliff off from its ashy mud and show up the trees, you actually have to carry the equipment with you. And look, there's one of my famous ones. It's a pine tree that's dumped and snapped in two. Even the snap, the break, is still preserved and the tree is replaced totally by an iron compound. But notice it's black on the outside, coal on the outside, minerals in the middle and the snap still preserved. Snap, sudden. Snap, lots of pressure. Oh, and here's an interesting one. There's two trees, one balancing on top of the other. You see the tree to the top right? You see the tree down the bottom? You see the top right one doesn't have any roots either? Now, when you want to know how this could happen, think carefully. All of this is ash mud. All of this is trees that didn't grow there. Therefore, how did they get there? They must have been knocked down somewhere else, lifted up, carried, buried in water, and carried by water and wind to the point where one is sitting directly on the other with the roots broken off. In fact, all up and down the coast at Newcastle, where I took young Joe, uh, there are polystrate trees everywhere. And he's the first finder of thorns amongst these trees. I, I was so jealous. There's one there. You see there's trees in multiple layers. 
trees that are turned to iron. Here's a famous one, uh, not me, the tree, right? Because not only did I uh, go and we filmed that, it's actually in Darwin on the Rocks. If you want to stream that video, you'll actually see this evidence for yourself. It's pretty tough to get down there, by the way. It's right down a cliff, uh, a fabulous bit of exercise walking down, even more walking up. And this tree, yes, we've excavated down to where the roots are or where the roots should be, and anything that's left is broken and snapped. And the tree is iron on the inside and coal on the outside. But here's a older, more famous tree. Not older in terms of geologic terms. There's me actually going on a research trip in the UK because on the cover of the old geology of Manchester area by Edgar, Eger rather, and Broadhurst is that tree. Now, many people have tried to find this since and it just seemed to have disappeared. So he went and we found out why. Well, you can see it's sort of covered with moss. Or you can see a bit of the left-hand side of the tree because yours truly excavated it. The rocks have fallen down, covered it over. It's no longer attractive. So we cleaned it up a bit. There's me for scale. Now, this is a tree that's famous. It went way up high and a little bit further down. And there's what the Geology of Manchester area official publication says. This tree was apparently overwhelmed by flooding. Now, this wasn't a popular report because it gave rise to the concept of flood geology in a modern context. This is a flood deposit. Even if you thought the tree grew there and then it was rapidly buried from bottom to top. This is the one that even Aja and the others are saying, you know, if you're going to bury this by, by slow deposits, then you've got plant layers, you've got shell layers. This would take hundreds of thousands of years and the tree would simply rot. Showing you how well preserved it is. A couple of fingers from my compatriot that day, showing you the strata goes right up alongside of the tree. And the bark is still there, but the bark is turned to coal and the middle, what's in it? Well, you'll have to watch the program uh, with Standing for Truth because we're going to go into depth into what's inside these. But cleaning it up, yep, we needed to clean it up, but then we discovered something interesting. Inside the base of it is yet another tree, just like we had in Australia. And alongside the edge of these trees, you still see even inside the bark has turned to coal. In fact, there's a general rule that the fossil trees that you find, even the upright ones, it's only ever the outside that turns to coal. Coal seams are not made of multiple trees that are coalified. It's only the outside of the tree or the bits of bark and leaves that turn to coal. Well, we've gone down, 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 and you can see the base of the tree, and you can see the other one inside. One tree, another, etc. Definitely flood buried. This whole lot, whether you're aged or eager, this is a, a flood deposit, even if you just took the immediate 20 or 30 or 40 feet of the trees in this area that have been rapidly buried. But what it does give you a clue Joseph mentioned that he's been in Tennessee and seen some of these. I've traveled all over the planet, so let's help you. So Derek Ager, the one thing I like this guy for is he just didn't sit in his ivory tower office or laboratory and speak. He traveled, and that's the big advantage that Joe and I have got. We've been there, done that. Here's a piece. Now, what's, uh, why don't you give up debating us? The Carboniferous extends essentially the same form from Texas to the Donetsk Coal Basin north of the Caspian Sea 
in the old USSR. This amounts to some 170 degrees of latitude and closing up the Atlantic by a mere 40 degrees does not really help at all in explaining the remarkable phenomenon. In other words, throw in continental drift and it still doesn't help you explain deposits of trees that um, you know are 130 degrees at least when you're cheating. Um, doesn't help you explain that deposit at all. But get ready, the flood deposits not only go from Tennessee, actually they go all the way from Mississippi and down into the Gulf of Mexico because I've been down there to check. And I followed them all the way across through Europe and into Asia. And look, I've been to the ones in Australia. That's where I saw some of my initial polystrate trees in, in this Carboniferous area. That's where we have our, our sort of edge of the Carboniferous in Australia. Flood deposits are worldwide. And the significance of this, whether you're George wanting to know what's inside them, whether you're just interested in fossil collecting and, and going to find thorns with Joe in the UK, um, these deposits, flood deposits on this scale are huge. Can I encourage you again? This research needs your support. Now, because I messed up the program a fair bit with my time loss, and I'll, I'll get it right sooner or later, I've just discovered one of the programs I share it with you guys that uh, helps us here a bit. Let me do the last little bit here. How does this actually happen? Uh, there's one dam drying out. I'm in Kentucky. Look what I noticed. The trees, the branches, the stems are floating upright. Can you see that there? Some of them are horizontal. Some of them are vertical. Some of them are at 45 degrees. In fact, it seems they start out floating horizontally, then they begin to sink. One end sinks first to finally they end up vertically and then they sink to the bottom. The most famous example of this, Mount St. Helens blowing up blew hundreds of trees, thousands, millions of trees into the nearby lakes, took them off the sides of the volcanic areas. One of our guys took these pictures. He was a student at ICR in those days. Bob Powell, still a member of our team, even though he's retired from geology. Okay, there you go. Notice how many of the trees have been floating now for a couple of years. They've lost their bark, but they're still floating. And some of them are floating vertically. Ah, clue. Let's take an experiment. A Jurassic Arc polystrate test tank. Hmm. We put the branches in. We put them in. Well, they float horizontally anyway, no matter which way you want to put them in. They don't all sit above the water. They're sitting in the water. And like a living plant, whether you know it or not, but you all know it because you've cut a rose and put it in water or a flower, the, water st the plant stays uh, apparently alive because the water still goes up the stem even after the plant has been decapitated. There's what you end up with. Yes, my picture uh, as a reflection. Do you see the uh, Scottish trees at 45 degrees? You see the other ones at vertical? Look at that. You can imitate exactly what you see in the rocks. Now start burying those um, trees, those branches with sand, and you'll end up mimicking. And that's what we do at Jurassic Eye. Can we make these deposits quickly and with minimal trouble that duplicate what's out there in the real world? You see, again, the point is simple. We can do this because it's not time, not millions of years that is involved in making polystrates. It's a process. The process that trees get waterlogged at one end well before the other 
so they will start sinking. Then they'll sink at that end faster, they'll end up inclined. Then they'll stand on the bottom because one end is deep and one end is heavier than the other. Then they'll fall over like the ones you can see because the whole tree gets waterlogged. Okay, one last important point. This issue is important. We spend money and time. We encourage you to spend your time praying for us and your money supporting us because there's a real conflict here with Christianity. There's two teachers I took down to see this tree. Um, one of them used to be an unbeliever on the right-hand side. The other guy I've known for years and years and years and worked for his dad is a pastor, all right? This guy's really enjoying his day, noticing the layers of muddy volcanic ash that go up against this tree, checking the bottom to see there's no pine tree debris there. So this pine tree, which is totally replaced basically with iron, with coal on the outside, didn't grow there. If it did, there should be pine tree preserved everywhere, but there isn't, pine leaves that is. Okay, Mark became a Christian. Mark is involved in education. Mark now knows that he's been lied to. When you look, we have not been told the truth about fossil trees. We've not been told the truth about fossilization. We've not been told that it's not time but process. We have been lied to. There's no other way you can say it. Somebody set out to lie to us because they knew the truth of this. I remember we've dealt with Charles Lyell. Well, Charles Lyell as a lawyer and Charles Darwin as a graduate theologian knew very well what your New Testament said. Jesus said, if people do not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even through a tiddling little resurrection. Now, I'm sure you'd be persuaded by seeing somebody raised from the dead, but persuaded of what? You'd seen something spectacular? Or perhaps you'd explain it away by saying they weren't dead in the first place. You see, the opposite of that, the reverse of that, is uh, if people do hear, listen, accept, believe Moses, Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, creation, Noah's flood, the Tower of Babel, the law, they can be persuaded through one rising from the dead. That's what happened to Mark. Can I encourage you? That's why we encourage you to support what we do, support Joe, support Vance in England, support Craig in Tasmania. We look forward to hearing from you on our website, creationresearch.net. Now, if you guys can sort of uh, help me get back here, I'll see how we go. I'm Press assuming that you'll finish now with your slides, John. That's great. Well, we've got about 10 minutes or so for some questions and comments and things like that before we wrap up. We've got a very early start tomorrow. We've got a whole um, homeschooling conference convention, which we're going to and sharing at. Uh, as well as doing some kid stuff. So we're, we're very much looking forward to doing that. But that means an early start for me and Sarah Ann. So, um, John, how about uh, we run through a few questions? I think we've only got a few in the chat anyway, and then we wrap it up for the evening. So, Sam, I see you're here now. I've been trying to pin some things, some of the questions. Have yes, been I've got them here. So good stuff. Let's uh, let's see what have we got. Okay, so this one comes in from Doki Doki. It might be a bit interesting to answer. Um, so it says, he says, uh, all the fossil sale websites I've seen use secular ages as a selling point. A creationist should make a fossil sale site and tell folks the real story of fossils. Joe, do you want to tell them what we're going to do with yes. the creation museum? 
Well, we have a website in the UK called creationresearchstore.com, which has got fossils for sale on it. That is being um, having an overhaul, which will contain fossil packs. So we're going to have a living fossil pack and we're going to have a rapid fossil pack. And it comes with little booklets talking about evidence in them. But a big part of the Creation Research Centre in the UK will be the shop element of it. So um, we will be able to uh, rapidly put out new evidence and new fossils from the shop and sell them on so obviously if you're in the uk come and see the shop but we will also set up an online presence or maybe even a facebook presence or something like that specifically for the shop um selling fossils and stuff in there as well so um yes we're it's a work in progress, but like everything, it's in progress, and it's uh, uh, a lot of administration to get all this up and sorted. Once it's up and running, Lord willing, it'll be a bit easier, but um, we have got our fair share of issues trying to get it going. So do keep praying for us, uh, keep supporting us, keep uh, just keep praying for us more than anything else for wisdom. But yes, we are in the process of getting that sorted. Awesome source. Right. Okie dokie. Uh, so this one comes in from Rebo Baptist. Says, uh, what's your opinion on Ron Wyatt and his, inverted commas, discoveries? <laughs> okay, I'd be the most qualified here because I knew Ron while he was alive and he's probably changed his mind radically since he died. Um, what you'll find is that Ron was an enthusiastic guy and uh, never accused Ron of uh, deliberately sort of conning you for funds because he funded all his own um, work himself. So I admired him for that. I knew his uh, wife and uh, went to his house to see his evidence. Now, two things here. When you find a fossil chariot wheel on the bottom of the Red Sea, you can be fairly fairly accurate in saying it's a chariot wheel. The one thing you can't do is go to the next step and say, this is the chariot wheel of Pharaoh who chased Moses across the Red Sea. Now, I hope you can tell the difference. So full marks, if you find chariot wheels, don't go so far as saying, this is the chariot wheel from Pharaoh's chariot that fell off on the right-hand side. Go and say, this could be, here's what we need to do to check it. So if I've got any criticism of Ron, it would be, first of all, that he went way beyond what the evidence would allow. Right now, I've published things supporting Ron's material at the point where he said the scripture talks about um, Noah in this way and in Genesis chapter 8 you can read a, a whole very important section on, on Noah and the flood and you need to read it because Ron Wyatt read it well and most of the other creationists don't. So check it out yourself as to what it actually says. But when he goes on to say the Tower of Babel, uh, we found Sodom, we found Gomorrah, uh, treat it with a grain of salt because when he talks about the sulfur balls being found, I find sulfur balls associated with coal seams, right, in Australia. So, sorry, the Tower of Babel or uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah could not be claimed to be in Australia. So, again, way beyond the available evidence. And you do have to come to grips with the fact that Ron was a committed follower of Mary Ellen White. And uh, he hides it a little bit, but in the end, you'll soon find out that uh, this woman was not actually a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was a follower of her own doctrine. So they would be my criticisms. I think I've covered it fairly comprehensively. Um, yep. yep. Yeah, good stuff. All right, a couple more questions then, Sam, before we wrap up. Okay, dokie. Uh, so we've got one here from Ravi. 
Uh, question. To believe in God, is it necessary to want to find him? I feel like I want to know this truth and I'm neutral about what that might be. Will that, pers will that perspective prevent my belief in God? A scripture jumps to mind, and I'm trying to desperately think of the reference, uh, but it says something along the lines of those who want to know those who, who who want to know God need to seek him or seek his face or something like that um I'm trying to think of the scripture reference uh, but it certainly it certainly is that um you're not going to find God if you're if you're not even <laughs> if you're not even looking for him or want to look for him or want to find him um John I'm trying. I'm okay. going to look up that. It's Hebrews and It's the book of Hebrews. He who that's wants right, to find yeah. God must first of all believe that He is, and that that's, He is a rewarder right. yeah. of those yeah. who diligently seek Him. So, Ravi, you've half answered your own question. If you willingly choose to not believe in God, then you may as well forget the search. Right now, if you listen carefully, you go back over what we said last week. You will find that the 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 way in which God perceives this, the way in which God sees this is he's got the creation so clearly labeled with his fingerprints that you know he created so you know he exists secondly you know that uh, he therefore is the creator and god knows that you know and he will hold you accountable for that so therefore when you look at your denial of god's existence try admitting first of all i'm a liar to myself in fact, the scripture says we're all sinners. So we, I find the easiest person on the planet to lie to is me, right? Even when it comes to you know, the issues of faith, I find it easier to lie to me. And so that couldn't possibly be true. Uh, but God says it is. So I made a choice many years ago. If God says this is wrong, then even if John Mackay wants to do it, it's still wrong, right? And God's right and I'm not. So I'd encourage you, put aside that foolish conclusion because it isn't a conclusion. It's just a raw belief. You can't ever conclude God doesn't exist because that's an absolute negative. So it leaves you nowhere. You can't ever conclude I don't know because that's not a conclusion. That's a statement of your position. So therefore, you may as well humble yourself and say, God, I'm willing to believe that you exist. Take me from there. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I noticed uh, that Ravi's... Sorry, you're up. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Cake. I was just going to say, I noticed Ravi also said that he can't accept that uh, God is good if he's going to drown babies in, in Noah's flood and things like this. But the thing is that, that God knows all things and we don't. And, um, you know, the world had become so evil. God, God knows that those young kids would be growing up to commit evil. So um, it's not that they're necessarily... Um, guilty as babies, for example, um, but perhaps uh, we, we don't know what, what exactly happens in, in God's overall plan for those, but babies, if they're innocent, I suspect um, those babies drowned in the flood may well uh, end up with Christ. I, I, I'm not sure, but um, uh, it's, it's for God to know, and that's a little bit what I was getting on, on, on about before. Who are we to question God? We're, we're the pot shard. Um, saying to the potter, why did you make me like this? You know, it's um, it's it's a matter of humility for us to realise God is so much greater than us. He's not uh, just one of us that, um, that we can sort of have a bit of a discussion with and say, well, I don't agree with you, God. 
no, he's not like that. He's he's greater by far. Mm. I think it says in the Old Testament as well, doesn't it, that if you uh, if you seek him with all your heart, you will find mm. him. It's mm. not a, oh, I'm going to try and justify a belief. I'm going to try and... Um, um, not going to believe or choose to not believe until I find enough evidence to satisfy me. It's actually seeking him. And also I think it says in the same reference to call out in his name uh, and I will answer. So it's, um, it's, it's more than just, Oh, I'm going to sit and wait for, uh, wait for evidence to turn up because you've got mm. to understand that even your own understanding of the world can be flawed. We're flawed human beings, all of us. Yeah, we just want to say too, we love love seeing Ravi on. We love love seeing oh, yes. him week in, week out. Yes. Um, it's great that he's continuing to investigate these things. And that to me um, sort of suggests that he is earnestly seeking in some way. Mm. Um, and so Ravi, continue to join us, continue to ask your questions and um, and, and seek yeah. God and just trust in him. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I'll definitely echo that 100%, Craig. I mean, it is genuinely, for me, it is a joy to see Ravi in the chat every single week, and I'm, I'm really glad that you uh, you tune in. Um, you look, I mean, we, we all come from different points of view in, in our entire lives. We, we're all on our own different journey in life, whether that's with Christ or with, without Christ, you know. Um, uh, one thing that Ravi brought up in the chat was um, about uh, about sin and the, the whole concept of you know going to hell for sin and things like that. You you picture God as you know he's he's the he's the he's the be all and end all. He's the first and the last. He is the absolute authority. Um, you've got God's law. Compare that to uh, our law. Now it doesn't matter whether or not you believe in the law. You're still going to be you know judged against that because that is the law of the land if you were um speeding along the highway or the motorway wherever you want to call it uh you know 150 miles an hour you're caught by a police car and you're arrested for reckless driving and you're brought before a judge you know and they and they say you know what would you have to say for yourself oh i, I don't believe i was speeding you know i was just driving my car doesn't change the law of the land you you that was the, the speed limit was set at a certain point and you have broken that so therefore you have broken the law so you need to have the consequences for that breaking of the law it's that it, all sin is equal in the eyes of god that's that's something that even i have struggled to get my head around but god is the eternal um pinnacle of right and wrong there's there's nothing that falls either side of that god, god is the absolute authority and we have to try and meet that but because we're flawed we we don't we always fall short a hundred percent of the time we are we are we're, we're flawed because we inherently are pushed towards sin um and so we we must always strive to be like christ or even though we'll never meet his level of, of goodness um and that's something to bear in mind is that you know even though we d we don't personally see something as you know bad or you know not you know we we don't think we should be punished for that you know got in god's eyes it's very different and it would be the same in the eyes of a judge i can just throw in one one to, to, to finalize this little section on judgment day any of us who pretend to be moral arbiters whether your name is ravi or judge edwards or whoever you are or john mckay god's going to look at us and say who do you think you were i invented the universe as Craig put in his little session he's doing on Sunday, I had the right to make the rules. 
and only I know what good is. Now, this is the hard part for us to come to grips with. We want to be God. We were made in God's image, but we want to turn around and make him in our image. And we have no absolute idea as to how to decide what is good, what is bad, what is indifferent. If you don't believe me, get on a government committee and try and sort out an answer in a moral issue. You'll find that you have how many hundreds of viewpoints do you want to take into consideration? Well, if you're God, you've got them all and you've got the right answer out of this. But Ravi, admit to yourself, look in the mirror, I'm not God. How would I know what was right even if I fell over it? How would I know what was moral? Whose other opinion did I ignore? Um, you're not God. Uh, take it into consideration. God is God and he is good by his definition, not yours. Great stuff. Thanks for that, John. Thanks for that, Craig, and to Sam as well. Um, yeah. I think it's about time that we wrap up things. We're hitting the two-hour mark That's as fine. we speak. We, we, do, we do have a few uh, thank yous to give out. A few thank yous uh, and then say bye-bye. So this I one think. comes in from Iron Matt. Four US buckaroos, a pair character, exaggeratingly stretching his arm forward to offer a cup of coffee. There you go. Oh, well, thank you so much. Oh, it's Iron too late for that now, mate. It's too late for that. I need to get the meds. <laughs> it's never too late for coffee, Joe. Not if you've got the right motivation. <laughs> and I'll be paying for it tomorrow. <laughs> a doki doki coming in with five US buckaroos, a character holding their head in the hands saying, incredible. <laughs> There you go. I don't know if it's it's that or or that. I don't know. But there we go. You make, make your own minds up, everyone. Even though you've probably already got the sticker. Well, the, the frustrating is, is that everybody can see exactly what I it's know, like. I know. We can't. We... <laughs> <laughs> We're the only ones needing to make our mind up. But there we go. Anyway, goodbye, everyone. God bless. It's been great to see you again. Catch us next week. We'll try and get it out a little bit earlier in terms of uh, the promotion of it. Um, we'll get a bit of a program put together for the next few weeks as well, leading up to Christmas, uh, which which is, is frighteningly close now. Uh, keep us in your prayers. Keep supporting us. Pray for us here in the UK that we can, uh, I can survive the next couple of weeks of balancing administration and ministry, as well as John and Craig and Diane and Sam all involved in the ministry around the planet. So goodbye, God bless, and we will see you very shortly.